All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Real Life, a podcast from the Nation Network. I got 50, I got 50 for days. Brought to you by Finning Canada. All business, all winter. It is time for the Real Life. Welcome to today's episode. I am your hostess with the mostest, Jason Strudwick. You can see me every night from 5 to 7 on Dinner Television. Uh, with me is uh, Mr. Awanye. Now, Mr. Awanye was supposed to be uh, in uh, Parts Unknown, yeah. but you had an issue with a flight, I suppose, issue. this morning. Terrible issue. What time is it right now? What time it is, is it? well, it's, uh, it's in the, during the day. Yeah, well, so let's, let's say it's 11 o'clock. Okay. Pretend. I got up at 4.15, okay. go to the airport, live in my life, flying down to Mexico sure. to do some work, get on the plane, yeah. fall asleep immediately, as I like to do my sure. business, wake up. I'm not in the air. I'm still in Edmonton, and the stewardess is shaking me. Right. She says, sir, the plane's frozen. You have to get off. <laughs> what do you mean the plane's frozen? The plane is yeah. frozen and you have to get off. The systems are frozen. It's a whole big situation. Missed my connecting flight. Here I am. Well, your uh, love life is much like the plane. Frozen. Frozen. Next to you is uh, Jason Greger, the host of the Jason Greger Show. You can hear him every day from 2 till 6. Mr. Greger, you made it. Uh, you didn't have any issues with uh, the weather? But I don't live a life of luxury. I don't get to uh, fly all over. I was Thank shoveling you. my sidewalk this morning yeah. Yeah. and uh, getting ready to uh, install Christmas lights. Although, let's be honest, I'm not putting them on because uh, it's, I have a tin roof and uh, it's, I'm too valuable to myself to uh, risk falling off the roof. Why do you have a tin roof? You live in Edmonton. You're not in Fernie, B.C. where you get that much snow. Yeah, but because it's better, actually. It's, for, it's called the Greenhouse Struts. Check it out. It's new things. Uh, Madison Park Homes, buddy. Wow. Energy efficient. <laughs> Someone must have got a lot of sleep. Spice pot. And finally, our special guest for the evening uh, or the day. He is the manager of alumni relations for the uh, Edmonton Oilers. My good friend, long time, 35 years with the Edmonton Oilers. Long time equipment manager. Now does many other things, including the alumni. Mr. Barry Stafford. Staffy, looking sharp. You got a suit on? Jeez. You do some push-ups this morning? You know what? I, I didn't really realize what i was getting myself into here straight yeah, it's a professional league we're in yeah here. yeah well we're, we're all highly pre- trained professionals and uh yeah i know i'm real happy to be here to uh to contribute to your show today well we're gonna have fun we're gonna talk to you about all things uh your career and alumni but right now i gotta tell you guys a story i i recently purchased a new house um by a big loan from my buddy jason Greger, and um uh, you know that that radio money he's thrown around and so i have to do a few rentals so you know i'm i i'm uh, some people do a lot of work but they're also i'm cheap when i see uh, something that comes in i can do it myself i do it myself so my wife wants to put pot lights in that's the new rage um <laughs> I, I, that and tin roofs are apparently the rage so i get a quote for how much it's going to cost to cut tracking now, if you know what that is you got to cut into the drywall on the ceiling to feather through the uh, the electrical wires to put new pot lights in. What's that, like 500 bucks? 
No, it was it was in the six seven hundred dollar range. Six or seven hundred. So I'm like, okay. you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna do it myself. So sure. I have a buddy, uh, Graham Bell, who used to play for the Eskimos. He he comes over, gets me this tool, a Dremel, and he's like, "This is how you do it." So I'm like, "All right, I'll do it." So I have to cut, and I got We're putting in about fifteen more pot lights. So that's a lot of tracking. So I start this out on Sunday, and uh, of course, no safety goggles, no nothing, no mask. Within about an hour, I'm covered in white. My eyes are just blazing red. I can't see anymore. I'm still kind of these tracks are a little bit crooked, but it is so rewarding. But I understand now why the price is so high because it's a it's a bitch of a job to do. Is it, has anyone at the table ever cut tracking in the ceiling? No, I had to paint the ceiling once. It was the worst <laughs> job ever in my mom's house. Uh, old, you know, old school. It was like stuckles. I must have had yes. to put four coats on that thing. My shoulders <laughs> were so sore afterwards, and I and I, ref, I have never painted like. First of all, I'm not an artist. I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. Like, I am right. terrible. I have no skills yeah. at that at all. And uh, so anything above your head is extremely difficult. But, yeah, tracking tracking to me is on the level. It's not as difficult as mud and taping. But, sure. like, like anybody can put drywall up, right? Yes. We, right. You put it up. Now, you obviously want to have some sort of measuring skills because then you just have your mud and taper, and he can come fix all your mistakes. Yeah. But you really don't have anybody who can fix. Now you're basically probably going to have to pay someone to fix your mistakes. Well, no, what we're actually going to board over top because there's there's actually, well, that's why I, I took it on because we have that stipple ceiling. Uh, my wife didn't want that. So we're going to board over top of it so I can cut big holes. But oh, okay. I, I swear my kids and my wife came over after about two hours of me doing this. And it was it was literally like it was a dust storm in there. Couldn't see anything. My wife's like, what's going on? She's like, what's wrong with your eyes? Is our house burning? I'm like, no, no. It just, it was, and I kept going, I kept breaking the, the little bits because I was pushing so hard. Snap snap so Ballard, i know you're listening i owe you probably like i've gone through probably eight of the nine of these i think they're only like 10 bucks but anyway why didn't you just get the former fullback he's probably a little bit stronger maybe well, have him do it he's short he, he couldn't even reach he barely <laughs> touched the top of the door jam much less the ceiling so i, I he's a, i hope he's not listening to that part he'll come beat me up but are his arms longer than one yes well they're proportioned to his body okay so they're mr stafford you've seen thousands of athletes in your career right yes i have you would probably be able to be determined like you could determine if someone's arms were of normal length or not of normal length mm -hmm. given their height what do you think of these uh these babies do they look all right i mean i'm six three are these normal size short yeah, son <laughs> of a gun unbelievable i did not know this until four episodes ago now i can't walk down the street without looking at other people's arms and wondering why are you so lucky i didn't realize you wouldn't make it you would make it as a fighter well certainly not i'm not i wouldn't make it as a lover either i don't know what i am a peace guy i guess well that is harsh anybody listening i think he's lying by the way savvy what about you i know you did a rent on your house did you did you just hire it out or do you do some because my buddies are calling me cheap and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now. They're like, hey, you're cheap, Stratty. Where I think I like to do it, but also if you can save a couple bucks around the corner. I, I like it? to refer to that as being value conscious. Uh, I like it. I'm going to write yes, that yeah, down. Yeah, I know we got to save a little bit of money. I was the, uh, I was the uh, cleanup guy on my job, my rental job. Tearing up carpets, you know, destroying walls. And, and uh, yeah, it was hard work, physical work. But, you know, it's very gratifying in the end. Yeah. I can do the grunt work. But when it comes to like the skilled yeah. stuff, right. like I get anybody, you rip out the carpet. That's kind of fun yeah. stuff. But when it comes to any sort of precision work around the house, I don't even pretend. Well, I'm just like, you know what? We'll get somebody in. Let's do that. It's it's all good. Now I've been lucky that the, I lived in a condo, so there really wasn't for the longest time a townhouse. It was one level. There was really no renovations. Right. So when I did renovate it, was the bat was the kitchen. And all I would say is, and I don't know how people do renovations with kids in the house. Oh. That's the one thing I don't understand. Like I live by myself for many years and I had to do a renovation in my townhouse. And so they took out the countertop and they didn't put a sink back in. So for like a month, I had no sink. I had to wash my dishes in the bathtub. I was freaking out and I'm a bachelor. So it wasn't like there was a ton of dishes, but still it was like the worst month. And I, like, I see people with three kids and they're going through renovations in a bathroom. And I'm like, how are you possibly surviving? Like to me, it's got divorce, separation, anxiety, stress written all over it. So I just like to de-stress myself. So I, instead of, I don't say that it's necessarily cheap. I just realize the limitations of certain strengths right. in my life. And I'll do all the hard work out at the farm. I can do anything out sure. there. But when it comes to in the house stuff, like I don't even bother trying. We know what sucks is I'm going to do a renovation with my wife and three kids. So what are you saying? What do you know? Should I, should I stop that? Abandon it? Good luck, Stretty. I'm hoping you guys are still married this time next year. <laughs> no, you know what? It's been pretty peaceful, but you do have to go along because you had to pick paint color. But there's some things I think that you get worked up about. Like I am, there's something like, 
for me, the kitchen is a big priority. If my wife's happy in there, oh, I'll be happy dude, there, right? It's the biggest priority that for them, for for I think for or the cook in the house. So for in this on our house, it's our my wife. But there are like some things like the lights. I'm not really involved in, but you know, like uh, there, there's something like where you place the pot. Like that is important to me because I think if it's nothing worse than having a light behind you when you're trying to work, and now you're you're casting a shadow on whatever you're doing, whether it's you know writing a dissertation like uh, Mr. Wanye or you're you're uh, cooking up food. Do, do you guys? How come you're looking at me like you've never done this before? Is this what marriage is? Is it about sitting around wondering if your stipple ceiling's low enough <laughs> and whether or not the pot lights over your head are casting a shadow? When I moved out of my house, my sister right. moved in the original Wanye Manor. Seven good years lived there. She phones me. She's like, "Hey." We're just uh, looking at the kitchen. Like, your oven is really clean. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm pretty, pretty clean guy. No big deal. Live there with three guys. She's like, no, no, no. Like, did you even turn your oven on the entire time you lived here? We had not. Seven years we lived in Wanye Manor. We never turned the oven on. Still nothing. Why do you need to? Oodle noodle. Good plug. Delivery. Shade. Gentlemen's Club downtown. Delicious buffet. Four, four afternoons a week. I don't need to learn to cook anything. Do you get a, a punch coupon, like 10, and you get a free one? Well, the bouncer knows you after a while, and he starts to feel sorry for you and just hooks you up with a salad <laughs> every now and again. But, yeah, I didn't need to learn. So I don't know. I don't know what a stipple roof is. I don't know what a good pot light situation in your kitchen is. I don't know. We know what? I would invite you over to help me work on this track lighting, but with those length of arms, you barely reach up halfway up the wall. Oh, my God. You're probably sitting on the <laughs> – you're outside your house, like, fixing something on the second story eve of your eavesdrop. I can't – this is going to get in my head. It's arm business. All right. Well, we brought a special guest, and we want to get to it. If anyone has any suggestions, shoot us a tweet uh, to talk about uh, my Renos. <clears throat> but Mr. Barry Stafford, let's go back uh, 35 years with the Edmonton Oilers. How did you first get uh, join the Edmonton Oilers 35 years ago? Well, I was uh, I grew up in Banff, Alberta, and I used to go to the Glen Sather Holiday Hockey School. Nice. When I was a young guy. As a as a player. As a young 12, 13, 14-year-old kid. You know? Skilled player? Uh, that's debatable. <laughs> and, and that's relative. Okay, skills relative thing. So uh, I had a chance to meet Glenn Sather, and I knew his family uh, long before I, I, I joined the team. And as I got older, uh, I ended up uh, coming to university after my, my – my, I had a bit of a scattered junior career, but, but uh, I ended up playing for the Golden Bears – and uh, my degree was in athletic training. So I was a hockey player playing for the Bears. And then uh, once I graduated my last year, I sent out, uh, you know, resumes to, to wherever. And uh, luckily for, uh, for me, uh, there was a need for a trainer. And um, I started as a medical trainer, by the way. And I was hired by the Edmonton Oilers organization to work as the uh, medical trainer for the Kamloops Blazers. And um, halfway through the season... Um, or sorry, yeah, through the season before I was going to start, the, the, the trainer uh, in the Central Hockey League, which was Wichita, Kansas, packed it in. So uh, Mr. Sather called me one day, and I had to go over to his house, and he said, well, you're not going to work in the Western Hockey League. You're going to go to work in the Central League, which is equivalent to the American League today. You're going to Wichita, Kansas. Oh, my God, I didn't know where that was. but uh, <laughs> So he kind of threw me in the fire. But that's how I started, and... Uh, I went to training camp in 1981 after I graduated from school, um, and uh, they threw me in the fire, man. I, I came to Oiler training camp, and then uh, they fired me down to Wichita, Kansas, and that's that's that was the start of it all. So when did you get the call to the show? Did well, they re- is it kind of like a mid of the season? <laughs> did you have any Mike Milberries in your career who told you you'd never make it to the NHL yeah. like Struts? Look, you guys don't have enough time to talk about my 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 scattered junior career and how I, how I ended up coming to Evanston. But um, I started, uh, John Muckler was the coach. I was probably 25 years old. Uh, Charlie Huddy, Curtis Brackenberry, uh, Andy Moog was the goalie, um, Donnie Jackson. Tr- uh, these, these were the kind of guys that I was starting with. So I was about the same age as those guys. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, you know, honestly, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I, I, I was weighing over my head. Uh, I was a competitive guy. I was a hockey player mentality. I wanted to work in the NHL like everybody. I, I wanted to be an NHL player. I was never good enough. But um, I worked hard at it, and, you know, I, I persevered through. I, I got myself in trouble. I made some mistakes. But, um, uh, you know, through it all, uh, there was one time when I thought I was going to be fired in the first uh, first uh, season that I worked. Um, 
it's going back a few years now, but I was standing on the, it was a bit of a wild league back then. There was bench clearing brawls were not out of the ordinary. And it was in, um, in Dallas, um, sure shit, there's a bench clearing brawl. And I'm, I, there's only one trainer back then. So I'm, I'm on the bench with John Muckler. I'm the medical trainer and the equipment manager and um, bench clearing brawl, guys are giving her. And uh, Peter Driscoll was our captain at the time. And um, some guy drug him over to the bench and just was kicking the shit out of him and uh, just pounding him. So I jumped down there, I grabbed the guy and I started pounding him. <laughs> <laughs> And without a word of a lie, I did it kind of instinct. I mean, I was a bit of a, a very competitive guy, and I had a bit of a bad temper, which I take pride in the fact that I've, 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 I've kind of handled that over the years. But uh, I didn't even think twice, you know, and I started pounding this guy. And uh, standing back on the bench, and son of a gun, if the, the referee at the time, I didn't know who it was, but uh, kicked me out of the game. So here's John Muckler just fuming. Is a professional hockey team without a trainer on the bench. And I was peering through the dressing room door. Just, I thought for sure I was fired. If once the Glen Sather finds out about this, I'm done. And it turns out, uh, you know, everything worked out fine. And uh, at the end of that season, <clears throat> they called me up. So I, I, I worked one year in the minors and uh, kind of honed my skills. And then they threw me in the fire in the NHL. Now, knowing how competitive Slats is, secretly he probably liked that. And I'm guessing you're. I'm guessing Peter Driscoll and the guys on the team were like, "You're getting some instant respect amongst your amongst your team." Well, the good thing for me, I was very lucky that as a hockey player, I, I as a you know, I mean, I was never good enough to play in the NHL. I mean, face it, I didn't play one game in the NHL, but but I had a hockey player mentality. Very fortunate to play for Claire Drake, and our team did win three out of four championships. I mean, any of you guys that grew up here uh, have the utmost respect for Claire Drake and. Uh, Billy Moore's, of course, but uh, I was a fortunate guy to grow up under that uh, that era. So, you know what? I had to change my ways, but uh, it helped me a lot in my job, you know, as I progressed through because I, I, I did kind of know what it took to be a player at that level, and it's all relative. And um, like I said, I, I did have a bit of a temper, and I was an aggressive guy. So, um, you know, it really helped me. The one thing about Glenn Sather I will say is that <clears throat> I think he was – he was kind of that would get his attention. He kind of likes guys like that. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, uh, he taught us all from a very young age. You you better stand up for yourself, man. Like you know, that's he, he challenged people to stand up for themselves. So yeah. now, staff, you were a trainer for a long time with the Edmonton Oilers and dealt with many different personalities. But you know, it, it's I think it's it, it's it's fa it's fair to say you worked a lot on all the equipment, but also at times your job you forced to be a bit of a psychologist to players. Would that be a fair statement? And if so, how, how did that work? Well, it's funny. Kevin Lowe kind of put it this way a few years ago. He said, Barry, you're not, a, you're not an equipment manager, man. You're, you're a personality manager. And uh, for some reason, uh, exactly true, Struddy. We get, we get uh, you know, it's a competitive world we live in. It's a, it's a very, very competitive world. It's a very intense world. People kind of forget that. Down on the bench in an in a, in a NHL uh, game in Stanley Cup final or some of the great games that I was part of. I mean, these are grown men that are very serious about what they're doing. And it, it gets intense, and uh, there's no friends out there. So, you know, you, you learn to, that, you know, you can't fight fire with fire, whether it's a guy on your team or someone on the other team. You, you, you need to learn how to manage personalities, and everybody's different. You know, I was always a guy that was a one-on-one -on -one guy. So, uh, and I, I also, what really helped me, too, was the fact that uh, I kind of learned the law of the wolf pack. Like, as you guys know, in any locker room, whether you're in you're in AAA midget or you're working in the NHL, there, there's a hierarchy. It's like a herd of horses. Like, uh, they'll fi there's a pecking order, and they'll figure it out. And you know what? As a, It's a little bit about respect, or maybe I should say it's a lot about respect. It's a lot about uh, trust and respect. And, uh, you know, veterans get their due respect. And, uh, you know, as a, as a new guy starting out, whether you're a young hockey player joining a, a – I mean, you played for a few teams. No disrespect, Stray. Good for you. You're an experienced guy. Um, but when you're when you're a young guy and you join a hockey team, you know the first thing you do in, in in my era, in my day, was you just shut up. You sit back and you watch and you don't say boo. And and slowly you learn and you earn the respect of the group. And that's what I mean by the law of the wolf pack, you know. And um, so uh, I, I've watched a lot of different personalities, and I, a lot of guys made mistakes. I was there always to help guys, young guys that 
you know, couldn't find their way. The real fortunate thing for us in Edmonton uh, was the culture of winning that we all started and grew with. And uh, that was all about the people. And that was about leadership. And I'm talking about leadership in the room. You know, I mean, some of the, the most solid guys in the game today are our friends here in Edmonton, uh, including 99-11, Paul Coffey, uh, you know, you name the, the Hall of Famers. But some of the guys that were on that team, Lee Fogelin, I mean, you know, um, these guys were solid people and they were mentors and they took these young guys under their, under their wings so that, uh, they learned the ropes and, and, uh, that mentorship thing is a, a really important thing. But, uh, you know, talking about the wolf, the law of the wolf pack, you, you sort of, um, some guys go astray. Some guys are young guys. Some guys don't know. And if there's nobody there to show them the way it, it can, it can be a train wreck. So, you know, managing personalities, uh, I was always a team guy and, uh, you know, it, 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 it it presented a few challenges down the road here, you know. Now, Staffy, a lot of people want to be in the NHL. And as you mentioned, you just didn't have enough skill to get there. And you played at the U of A, obviously a very good player. What's the requirements education now? Maybe different, like in 2016, if, if somebody out there feels like, okay, you know what? Maybe I want to be a medical trainer. Obviously, you need a medical background. But an equipment trainer in the National Hockey League, what route do they have to go through to even have a chance? You know, it's it's there's 30 teams in the NHL. I mean, there's not a lot. It, it's a it's a it's a great job and it's a great position. There's there's also 30 teams in the in the American Hockey League. There's the ECHL. There's, you know, you got to start somewhere. Um, I'm spending some time with Grant McEwen Griffiths uh, hockey team. Uh, um, we're partners with uh, OEG is partners with the young group in in um, in the, our downtown community arena. And, you know, they're, they're uh, asking me the same thing. Um, you know, how, how do we start out, not only as coaches, but as trainers? Like, how do you start? Well, you start out by putting in time. You know, if you have an interest in it, you got to start somewhere. You know, um, you, you got to get a, be if you wanted to be an equipment manager, and that's a good profession. Guys make a good living at, at uh, working as equipment managers in the, in the NHL. Uh, look at the NFL. It's, it's a profession as well. But um, you got to the, – the, the challenge with uh, – the equipment side of things is is that there is no real certification or program like the medical training field. You're, you'll never get a job as a medical trainer in any pro sport if you don't have, first of all, a degree or a master's degree. You, you need to be, you know, the, the, the game uh, almost expects that um, the, the medical training side is uh, is top-notch, is top-level. you you got to have the, the qualification. So in equipment, it's not quite the same, but you you you, you learn by doing. You you get your nose down, you put in the time, and you work in the American Hockey League like any young player. You know you got to work your way up. You get in the American Hockey League, you do a hell of a job, and next thing you know, you're working in the NHL. And a lot of people even just starting midget AAA, Bantam AAA, and work with the teams. I would think. Yeah, that's right. You gotta you know you gotta put in your time, man, and that's how you, you hone your skills. Now, uh, you know, we all watch the games and we see the trainers on the bench and they're wearing the nice track suits. They're all groomed nicely. Uh, some of them have done push-ups just to look better on TV before they go out there. I know you were in that group, Staffy. Thank you. But uh, for me, at least this is my perspective as a former player, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Your calm there, look, uh, you know, it's very, it just everything's under control unless there's an issue with equipment or, or uh, an injury. But maybe talk about what goes on behind the scenes because there are thousands of hours you guys put in. And you start the season, you guys look fresh. By the end of the season, uh, the troops are a little bit fatigued. I'm talking specifically about the group of trainers, not just one or the other equipment or medical. Well, you know, it, it's kind of a funny joke in, within the, the profession. We always say that this is a great job, but these frickin' games are getting in the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that's not, that job isn't for everybody. I mean, I, I had a great run, and uh, I was very happy, actually, after 28 years to uh, tra transition into a different position. Because it's, it's a difficult job. It's a hard job. But uh, it's a great job, too. But, um, you know, trainers are a special breed of people, especially guys that last a long time that do a good job. It's like anybody. My buddy at home says, yeah, anybody can have a garden. You know that. You know, garden, anybody can grow a garden. But not everybody can grow a good garden. It's like any profession. You know, if you take pride in what you do and you, you continually improve and, and uh, you know, you can become a very good trainer. And, you know, I always wanted to be the best. And, uh you know, I, ha I had a lot of support around me with, uh, of course, the management, but uh, also I had good staff and we, we had a good partner. So w w the reason I say it's not a good jo it's not a job for everybody because trainers are there. <clears throat> it's amazing. Um, speaking about Claire Drake um, and we bring this up all the time, but uh, something that really stuck in my mind was it's amazing how much can be accomplished 
when no one needs to take the credit. I mean, that's the foundation of a good team. And uh, trainers are there to serve. They're there to help. I mean, we're here to help. And that's the attitude that we've always had here in Edmonton. And, and uh, that's the kind of mentality that these guys have. We're just here to help, to, here to contribute. Uh, nobody ever expects a pat on the back as a trainer. That's our job. You know what? We work long hours. Yeah, that's what we do. But Mr. Sather used to say years ago, this isn't a job. It's a way of life. So if you need to work 16, 18 hours a day, that's what it is. I mean, that's what, that's what you put in. You do, you do whatever it takes to win. And, um, you know, it's not uncommon for trainers to get to work. I mean, I used to get to work 5.30 in the morning and uh, open the door at 6. The coaches would be the first guys in after me. You know, um, some of the players would come in at that time. But, and then at the end of the day, on a game day when we're at home, I'd come home at midnight. That's a game day. You know, um, practice days would be a little different, but that's the way it works. I mean, you put in hour. You, that's the way the profession is. You know, that's that's what's expected of you. It's uh, um, so you know nobody would ever question as a as a guy, whether a medical trainer or, or an equipment manager, that they're working long hours. That's that's their job, and that's what we do. And and um, you know, there's a lot of rewards to the job. You know, I mean, it's all about relationships. Uh, I was very fortunate to be in a lot of winning teams. I mean, I was a lucky guy. And, uh, you know, that kind of, that's what kept us coming back, you know, the winning side of it too. Can you give us a little insight? Uh, Strud's a low maintenance guy in the room, a high maintenance. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, did, did he ask you to, to send him some Propecia at times? How did it work? You know, it's, it's kind of funny uh, that you bring that up. Uh, you know, Struddy, <laughs> Struddy, uh, you know, Struddy kind of fits into a category where I was kind of, you know, I, I'd always took a shine to the to the guys that were not afraid to stick up for their teammates. And Struddy had a certain job, and and um, typically you'll find that guys that were were the bigger, stronger, tougher guys are the easiest people to work with. They're they're humble, they're 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 kind, and they're uh, you know they're they're team they're they're good team players. And uh, as far as maintenance goes, it's the same thing. They're they're low maintenance guys. It's funny, you know, it wasn't until about 10 years in that I heard this term uh, high maintenance as a hockey player. I go, what, what, what does that mean, high maintenance? Well, you know, depending on, on who you're dealing with as far as the training staff, they would consider players that have demands to be high maintenance. And I always looked at it as, well, these guys are my friends. This is how they make their living. We're all part of a team. Well, there's no high maintenance. I mean, Mark Messier needs help with this. You do it. Gretz or... You know, I don't want to drop names. It's a funny little story. I was talking to Mark and Wayne the other day. I was talking to Mark and Wayne names, the other day. Just a sack. Uh, Wayne Gretzky no, just popped into my brain. No, here. no, no. No, I was. No, that, that was the joke. I was talking to Mark and Wayne. It's funny how they say that they don't, uh, they don't like guys who drop names. No, no, I mean, I was talking. No, no, but, but typically talking about Strider, those, those kind of those tough guys as far as maintenance goes, that they, they're always the easiest guys to work with. But the high-maintenance thing – Man, we didn't know any different. This is where you're all part of a team. You're, this is what you do. I mean, there, there's a whole change in the world today, and we're all we're all progressing into, uh, you know, whether you're, you're you have employees in a business, whether you have uh, you know young hockey players trying to make it to the NHL, or whether you're a teacher in school. You know, this whole thing about uh, Gen Xers or Gen Y or whatever it is, or the, this entitlement thing. I mean, um, you know. Guys got to learn, you know, guys got to learn how to deal with those kind of things. And as far as, um, you know, that's where we're talking about the mentorship thing, you know, uh, they got to learn how to be a hockey player on and off the ice. And uh, so Streddy was not a high maintenance guy. He was, a, it was a pleasure to be around him all the time. And, uh, you know, honestly, because he was, he was a good teammate. Quickly, uh, the relationship, and I've heard it a lot that, you know, there, there was a real deep-seated trust because at times if a, if a guy had a little bit of a tweak or an injury, you know, the trainer could help him. He knew a lot of different things to ensure he'd stay in the lineup because a lot of guys, you know, you have the elite guys like Gretzky, Messi, they're not cared about their, their standing on the team. But a lot of the other guys, you know, Strud's has one who's talked about it where you're kind of leery, man, I don't want to go to the press box because I might be there for three weeks. So you do whatever it took to stay in the game. How do you forge that relationship when you knew that it was – you know, good to, you know, allow the guy to play with a little bit of a, uh, a nick rather than an injury where he could hurt himself. How do you learn that? I'll tell you what, you know, when, when it comes down to the competitive nature of hockey players, I mean, especially a medical trainer's got, I mean, the player's safety is the number one priority for all of us, equipment or, or medical trainers. That, that is the priority. But when you look at both sides of it, 
where these guys are practicing hard every day and if they miss a shift or you know if they if they don't practice hard they may not get in the lineup and they got a, some guys every shift they play it like it was their last shift because if they make a mistake they may not get back in the lineup so you try and tell a guy who's got oh, you could talk to Kenny Lowe about this all day long about football and Danny Kepley comes to mind but uh, and one day you'll have Kenny Lowe here doing this but uh, we, we had players that we knew uh, couldn't play and they just but they wouldn't they, they would play with some of the things that these guys play with and you, you know eventually you got to talk to the medical trainer or you, you got to make some decisions to say listen but it's tough to keep guys like that out of the lineup. I mean, even today, I, I suppose there's there's a group of players that, you know, they they practice hard every day and they play hard every shift because they think that that could be their last shift. Now, that's the kind of guys you want on your team too, you know? You know, it reminds me of a, a story uh, when I was playing in Chicago with the Blackhawks. Gaffer, you know, Gaffer, yeah. oh, the yeah. big uh, medical trainer there. Well, we, we were, had a day off day. We were just having a workout. Then after, we went to play at the United Center. We played basketball there, right? And we love playing basketball. The Bulls just came off the yeah. court. So myself, the assistant coach, the uh, PR guy, and myself were playing basketball. Well, we have a game the next day at 2 in the morning, at 2 in the afternoon, St. Patrick's Day. Sorry to interrupt. Did you just list yourself twice in the lineup there for playing basketball? Well, I was that good. Wow. I was that That's good. incredible. That's so incredible. we're playing. It's three yeah. of us playing. And uh, I love playing there. You know, play, imagine playing basketball on the court at United Center. It was awesome. We're having a good time. We have a game the next day at 2. So uh, St. Patrick's Day. This is St. Patrick's Day, by the way. So anyway, so we go and we're playing. I roll my ankle. No. And I know it's bad. I'm like, oh, my God. So the assistant coach is freaking out. He's like, this can happen if, if, if the Brian Sutter's our coach. If he finds out, we're going to get killed. We're, I'm like, don't worry. It's okay. I could barely walk. The, the PR guy's like, I'm going to get fired. Like, everyone's freaking out. No. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, don't worry. It's okay. I'll just, I'll just be all right. So... Literally, I, we don't tell the trainers anything. I literally put myself on a walkout. I'm like limping. I barely get there. The 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 assistant coach brings me one of these uh, things to, uh, to 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 ice my ankle. I ice it pretty much from that's like from four o'clock all the way through to the next day before the game at twelve. I barely can get in the dressing room. So the assistant coach pulls me aside. He's like, "What are you gonna do?" I'm like, "Don't worry, I got a plan. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a fall and warm up." So. I go out there and and I can barely skate. I can barely move. And all of a sudden I go, ma! I'm yelling my ankle, my, my ankle, my ankle. So, so, so I, I, so I, like, I finish over, I can barely move. I get on, I, I, I limp off. I'm like, I don't know what happened. I think I caught an edge. And the assistant coaches give me this one from the bench. And the PR guy. So I go and take my boot off. But of course, my over the last 24 hours, my ankle is humongous. It looks like a pineapple. And so I take the skate off and Gaffer looks at me. He's like, when did this happen? I'm like, about seven minutes ago. He's like, when did this happen? I'm like, yeah, literally seven minutes ago. He's like, don't worry, you'll be fine. He tapes it up. He puts a mass, it looks like a ski boot. And I got to jam my foot into this boot. And I end up playing. So oh. I could barely turn. I could barely move. Somehow I actually had a pretty good game. I was just, uh, well, no one even noticed because you're well, never a great turner anyway. So after oh, the game, I, like the PR guy and the, and the assistant coach were like, thank you so much. You shaved our jobs. I'm like, what about my ankle? <laughs> my ankle was messed up the rest of the year. It took like the next year to get better. Oh, I heard some funny stories oh, about uh, – and they were involved with Kelly Bookberger and uh, oh. and snowmobiling with Glenn Sather. Oh. oh my God, that is a, that is a funny story. But oh, uh, so y- you know what the thing is, these guys were like even Bucky. I remember he got banged up, broke a few ribs. They were paranoid to tell anybody. He had to play with broken ribs. And, <laughs> From uh, a skidooing accident. Yeah, 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 oh yeah, yeah. And the oh. problem was, I think uh, Glenn Sather was out skidooing <laughs> with them, and they didn't want to tell anybody because I think there might have been some uh, mm. some uh, adult beverages involved at some point, but. Uh, I heard, this is funny, this is going back to some of the alumni guys um, were telling me this, and this is a true story, when Cowboy Flett was spent, long before my time here, but uh, he had uh, torn his knee up in a party or something the night before, and uh, these guys at that time were, I mean, he was a veteran player on the team, and, and uh, but they were so concerned about uh, health insurance and getting paid in his contract, if he had got hurt off, away from the game, his, his contract would have been null and void, he wouldn't got insurance, so he got his boys to... Um, some of the guys on the team to just like you, he, they, he somehow he managed to slip in the back door. He couldn't even walk. His knee was torn right apart. He got dressed. He went out for practice. And uh, so the, the, the plan was, I think Frank Beaton was on the team or Curtis Brackenberry. And so he said to, uh, they, they told Cowboy Flett, I don't know if Glenn Sather was a coach or not, but he said, just, just as soon as you can, as soon as Frank Beaton gets on the ice, slash him as hard as you can. Just slash him. 
And so they get on the ice. Cowboy Flett skating around. He slashed Frank Beaton. Frank Beaton went after him. Like, but there was a lot of guys around, Hammy and these guys, I guess. And uh, so they broke it all up. Hammy went down, or uh, Cowboy went down, went to the medical room, was out for the rest of the year, and got his, his uh, insurance paid. <laughs> and Frank Beaton, he didn't even know what was going on. He just, <laughs> He's all pissed off. Why is he slashing yeah, me? What yeah. the hell is going on? It was a setup. <laughs> oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Let's uh, take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to uh, Real Life Podcast, brought to you by our great friends at uh, Finning. I don't know if they have uh, any sort of tractor that can uh, fix a knee injury to get you on the ice, but they probably might have one, and uh, we'll return with more. It's 2 a.m. It's been snowing since 2 p.m. Most people are snug in their beds, dreaming of a winter wonderland. But not you. You're out there, pushing winter around, getting it out of the way, taking care of business with your reliable, efficient, and affordable cat skid steer from Finning. From just $5.36 a month with the all-business lease, heated seat included. The all-business skid steer for all seasons. Call one finning today. All right, thanks to our good friends at Finning. Uh, let's keep this party going. I'm Jason Stradwick. We've got uh, Wanye with us. Uh, we've got Jason Greger, the host of The Greger Show. And then we've got uh, Barry Stafford, long-time member of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, one uh, thing, why yeah. is it? Well, do, you, do you think he's like a, a soccer player now? It's Wanye Gretzk. It's not just Wanye. No, I think actually just Wanye's better. I do like like a... European soccer analogy. I never thought that this would actually turn into a thing. And calling yourself Wanya Gretz is like extraordinarily arrogant. It's a lot. If I just kept it with Wanya, I think that would have been a little bit more fun. But as you learn as you get older, you make mistakes. They compound annually sure. until it's this thing that nobody wants to talk to Marshall no more. Or they want Shady. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to change your mistakes. Are you going to contribute to this podcast or just sit here? It's like story time. Well, let's let's just take a step back here for a moment. We have three <laughs> microphones for four people. And you talked earlier about the wolf pack, Mr. Stafford. Clearly, I'm like the rat running around the outside of the room. Like, I don't got no stories about no sports. Certainly never went to United Center and played ball. I'm not Gregor with a tin roof over there, right? I got nothing to offer this conversation. Okay, so now's your time. Yeah. Now's your time. Contribute something. Where do you, where do you want it? Have you got a question I've got, for Mr. I've got, I've got, I've got then several let, then questions. Let's do it. Before we change gears, All I'm right. going to give you a chance to shine because All right. honestly. Okay, here honestly, we go. Showtime. Showtime. Right I'm your five-year-old? You, no, no. I said I may as well have it for as much as contributing. Oh, I see. Your five-year-old's got freakishly normal length arms if I'm your five-year-old. <laughs> I'll tell you, they're not long. They're not short. They fall right in the median for a guy his okay. size. Mr. Stafford, you mentioned earlier that there was all sorts of different categories, and you said Strudwick falls into a profile of a certain type of player. So I, I would assume after a while, people start to look the same. They all fall into different little you know, pigeonholes or whatnot. But I'm wondering if there's people that you've come across in your time where you're just like, oh, that's one of one. I've never seen a guy like that before. I'll probably never see another guy like that again. Maybe they were only with the team for like an hour because they were so outside <laughs> of the norm that you're like, we're going to send them back to Pluto where we found them on the first train in the morning. Anybody that springs to mind is just being a real interesting character. Well, man, there's a lot of interesting characters, but one thing I'll say, I'm not going to name any names, but the fact of the matter is they don't last long. You know, they, they, they it's called uh, self-policing. You know, the boys, uh, you know, the boys will sort things out pretty quickly in the room. Uh, if somebody gets out of line or e either, either management based on what, what happens on the ice. But uh I mean, there's a lot of characters in the game. Like, there's not enough characters in this world. Like, why be normal, right? Like, I mean, Amen, Strads. Nobody, Amen. Nobody, nobody, there's no two people are, that are the same. But uh, I think just to answer your question pretty, pretty uh, right to the point is uh, there, there are a lot of characters, but uh, in, in a good way. Uh, there was never any really bad apples because they wouldn't last very long. But never a player where, like, I, I remember hearing stories from the 80s, like, Peter Klima had live dogs in his room with the forum in, and they're, like, these huge beasts, and they're running around, <laughs> and people in the hotel were like, oh, you can't clean room 412, there's two wolfhounds in there. But that's like that. true. Yeah. Like, you that's know, a that, legit that, thing. That, Peter, that's true. That rumor I heard of the bus depot, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a Peter Klima, Peter Klima had, had uh, Irish wolfhounds even when he lived here. He had a big yard out in St. Albert, and... Uh, you know, he his dogs were his his his. You know, they didn't have kids, but that's that was the deal. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know that that doesn't seem like out of the ordinary for people that like dogs, but you know that's a well, true it seems story. Seems like you're living in a hotel room. Yeah. You don't have a patio. But, it seems a little bit yeah, yeah, a little bit yeah, odd yeah. to me. No, but I, mean, I don't it, have it, a dog. It, I don't it could know. be bizarre, but they're they're you know Peter Klim has got stories on his own, like away from the game that were pretty uh, pretty wild. Him and Bobby Probert and those kind of things. Peter Klima is a He's an awesome guy. He's a gentleman. He uh, we see him all the time now in Detroit. Um, 
you know, he's he's part of the alumni group. He's a, he's a guy we want to bring back here. And still one of the greatest lines in the Oilers' history. You need a pretty long stick to score from the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, this yeah. past weekend, we were uh, – staff helped organize an event at uh, Fallen uh, Community, and we were raising money for uh, to keep their outdoor rink going. It was amazing. They had the old Calgary Flames from the Staddle Dome, those boards, and the same glass, and we played a game out there, Oilers alumni against the Flames. Sorry, where was this? Fallen, Fallen Alberta, so right by uh, Pigeon Lake, basically just just a little bit uh, east of Pigeon Lake. How do you spell that? Uh, I know it's a tough one. I think it's F A L U N. Yeah, Fallen. So I called it Fallen. Is it Falloon? I thought it was Falloon. No, no, no. Fallen. Trust me, I was correct about twenty times when I was down there. Okay, yeah, no, fair enough. But there was a guy named Polonich there. He played. He was about. He's about sixty-two years old. He played with Detroit for twelve years. Funny guy, you know. Well, he's. I'm pretty sure he's his son-in-law's Williams goalie. Uh, who used to be the running back? Oh, here really? In Edmonton. Yeah. Okay. Jade's his daughter. Pretty sure. Well, this guy is a funny storyteller. I'm, I, I'm getting to a question for staff here. Say the director of the CIA, Mr. Gregor, over there is a pretty <laughs> yeah. thick file on him. Hey, I believe you'll find his social insurance number to be. But if you didn't know Polonich, he's a bit of a, a spicy guy. He'd go and you know irritate people and get everyone worked up. So he said, "We're going to." He goes, "I'm playing against the we're the Red Wings. We're playing against the Oilers." And he goes, "The first shift, I skate out there, and we haven't dropped the puck yet." Dave Semenko, who was at the event also in the fall, and he's looking over at me like like he's a predator, like a shark can eat. He's just like, he's like, oh my God, Dave Semenko, he knows I'm in trouble. Then he said, uh, Lee Foglin, who he said had hair coming out of the back of his jersey, just a huge guy, he skates up. He's like, if you touch the great one tonight, you're going to die. So he's like, so I shut Wayne down. He only got one goal and four assists. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you were there and you saw these guys interact, I mean, you always hear about protecting the great one. Mess maybe didn't quite need the same amount of, uh, you know, of, of attention that regrets did. But was it like that? Could you see the interaction from your the Oilers players to the other team for a, a comment maybe like that where, you know, no one touches the great one tonight? Well, it's kind of funny when you hear it from from the guys that some of the tough guys that used to that used to run around and try and yeah they could they could never catch them they could never hit them but it was it was always team tough that kind of thing right yeah like uh, when you look in the early eighties about uh, in the mid eighties the dynasty years so to speak when Wayne was in his heyday and the team was um, there was there was. Uh, there was, uh, it, it was all about the team. Like, of course, Dave was there, Sammy. and uh, yeah. But then, you know, look, at you had McClellan. You had uh, Donnie Jackson. You had, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Patty Hughes, all these guys. And it was, it was, a, it was a kind of a pack mentality. It wasn't just, uh, just one or two guys. But, uh, um, you know, a lot of times, like, like when we heard in the current team, when I heard that we, we signed uh, Luch, I said, I don't, we don't even care if Luch plays just sit him on the bench <laughs> you know like like he, he's gonna he's gonna uh he's gonna change the dynamics in the sure. locker room and he's gonna change the dynamics from from other teams that play us i mean i'm a, I'm a big fan of the oilers today I, I i love the team and uh i know the importance of 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 that role of a player and so um uh it, it was evident because of mainly dave Semenko because people forget you know, all of us guys here in this room and some of the guys in that era, don't forget. But Dave Semenko was a very, very, uh, how can I say, he was a force to reckon with. He was a mean, tough son of a gun. And he's still scary. Like, Did a great job. Around. How old is yeah. he now? He's got to be in his 50s, eh? Uh, I would think he's a young, he's a young mid-50s, yeah. 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 Like, we're just skating, a young guy. We're skating around that game, and I know he, he just skated by this guy on the other team and just kind of gave him a look, and I was like, oh, my God. And he skates back to the bench. He's like, Stretty, I still got it. I'm like, yeah, I just, I just shit myself. I'm on your team. Of course he still got it. Like, you know, that is – he has a, he just has a, a, a presence. And I would love to – I think I felt that presence a few times, but never – like that level of, uh, of scariness, Dave Semenko. And, but a funny guy as well. He would have been a fun guy to have on oh, the dressing he's, room. Oh, he's, he's one of the funniest people in that dressing room and, and one of the most respected guys just because of his wit and his humor and uh, – you know, that's what you got to love about guys like that. I mean, I can think, I can go down the list and you guys will agree with me, I'm sure. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, Dave Brown and uh, Marty McSorley, uh, Kevin McClellan. I mean, you forget Sean Brown was right in that category as well. Sean Brown was a, was a good team player, very respected, although a quiet guy in the room. But uh, Sammy was one of the few guys that could actually, uh, I don't know if you want to say talk back, but he wasn't afraid to voice his opinion when Glenn Sather was in his in his prime as far as uh, ripping guys. Like Dave, <laughs> Dave was one of the few guys that could actually 
you know, throw out a comment and, and uh, in a real serious time, and he would just get everybody, including Glenn, laughing. <laughs> yeah. And they got, like, Gretzen Mess, they just be like, they just love it probably. Oh, yeah, man. Really. I mean, you know what? Dave, Dave a, a player like Dave Semenko is an invaluable commodity on a hockey team, as you know. And uh, he knows his job, and, uh, you know, he, he, he st- I mean, his, his main role in life was to stick up for his teammates and look after his teammates. Well, the thing about Dave was that you go back and you YouTube some of his fights. Like, he, he is one of the nicest guys off the ice, but he could snap. And he he understood and he took his job very seriously. And so many of his teammates have discussed over time that they say, as great as Gretzky and all those guys were, like, we had the scariest guy in the NHL. And, that lit- and back then, where fighting and intimidation was much more of a factor, like, it was like having a 50-goal score. Because sometimes other teams, literally, their guys would shy away. Oh, 100%. I mean, not, I, uh, sorry to interrupt. Can we not go to YouTube for a look at that? Can we go to hockeyfights.com as the owner of <laughs> hockeyfights.com? It's a viable alternative yeah. as a library of fights, it. both past and present. Well, it's another good contribution. Fantastic. You. Thank, you. You, Thank uh, you. I'm not, I, I, I'm not here to yeah. promote, but Adam Scourgey, uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with uh, Ice Guardians. Um, Adam's a friend of ours, and I think, you know what? He has a great film. But one of the coolest parts of that film was i believe it was jerome aginla jason to your point uh if you guys remember that the scene where he said well you know what yes i hope we have a tough guy on our team and i hope we have the toughest guy in the league on our team because it it it, it answers your to your point about having a 50 goal score i mean it lets it allows those kind of guys to play where would wayne gretzky be today without dave Semenko? i mean it's it's it, it's a fact of life i mean and uh also people forget Dave Semenko was, when I say a force to reckon with, that guy, he used to hurt people. Like, I mean, and, and he did his job. There was definitely intimidation in the game, and I, I, still, I still believe there's intimidation in the game today. It's a factor. There might not be as much fighting, but, but uh, intimidation is definitely part of the game today. When I, when I came to NHL, I, I, guys would say, you know what, Strutty, you're trying to make a name for yourself by fighting. Don't fight these guys. And the guy they listed off was Craig Cox. They said, do not fight that guy. He's one of the scariest guys. So I asked him, I said, when you came to the league, who were you told not to fight? He said, Dave Semenko and Dave Brown. He said, unless it is like you know, Armageddon and you have to, do not fight those two. And these were tough guys. This wasn't like a, you know, a second-line scoring winner. And I was like, oh, my God. And it's always sad with me because I love Dave from a young time. Now, we've been talking a lot about the alumni here uh, with Barry Stafford. And, Barry, let's talk about your new role as the uh, Director of Alumni Relations. What does that look like? Uh, what, what is the goal uh, uh, for you and the uh, Edmonton Oil alumni? Well, you know, it's, it's actually an honor, uh, a privilege for me to be put in a position to, to help lead the, the, the official title as Manager of Alumni Relations for, through OEG. But... Uh, very, very privileged to uh, to help lead uh, and direct a, a group of arguably the the highest profile alumni in the NHL. I mean, and that's mainly because uh, yes, we have six Hall of Famers or five uh, players in Glen Sather, but uh, um, you know this organization has been run uh, probably for almost thirty years now, and and led by a, a, a an executive uh, board. Brian Benning is the president today uh, with, with some of the, the, uh, the long-standing members. Al Hamilton was a former uh, president of the association. Uh, you have uh, Bob McAneely, uh, Brian, Brian Baltimore uh, on the executive. Uh, Lyle Best, of course, is a part of that executive group. And then you have uh, some of the younger guys, my, my guys, so to speak. I'm, <laughs> I'm the same age as those guys, including uh, some of the directors of the, uh, the group. And uh, Stratty, you're a big part of that. But Fernando Pisani... Uh, Sean Brown, Chris uh, Joseph. Uh, so we have a younger group of guys as well. And, and um, you know what? The, the mandate of the group hasn't changed too much from uh, when I started or when they started 30-some years ago. You know, it's all about um, uh, championing the, the pride and passion of a, of a winning culture, you know, based on, on the dynasty. And um, it's, it's all about, you know, helping people. How can we help? How can we help in the community? How can we help our members? Uh, you know, build camaraderie, um, you know, mentorship on players that are transitioning from hockey uh, into the real world, into the community, not too much unlike you, Strutty, and, and uh, all these young guys that are um, in the community today, they're, they're, they're uh, you know, 
contributing members of the community. They, they, they have businesses, they have families, they, they work in charities. Um, you know, and, and also, uh, how can we uh, recognize and honor the past? I mean, this organization is based on the dynasty and the winning culture. And how can we respect the past, but, but yet, you know, look to the future. OEG is all about creating I Remember Moments. And you know what? We just want, we've been given an opportunity with Bob Nicholson and uh, Kevin Lowe to, to, to really help contribute to the success of the organization uh, and, uh, you know, offer the skills and, and knowledge and ability that, that our veteran uh, alumni members have uh, to themselves internally, but also to the young players, right? Um, we, had a, we had a great uh, event in our Heritage Classic in Winnipeg where um, Bob and Kevin actually had an, a dinner for the young players, the current team that played uh, the two-point game, and then the alumni team. Uh, um, we, we had a dinner together, and it was, to me, after, you know, I've been here for a long time, uh, 35 years. It was a real, real uh, moment um, where there was an integration of both teams, and it's, it's a new phase of of the Oilers organization. It's an exciting time for all of us here. And, uh, you know, the alumni, are, we're really happy to be able to contribute and given an opportunity. It's a responsibility. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, you touched on something there, they're transitioning from playing to not playing now. You know, for a lot of people listening, like, oh, you know, these poor, uh, who cares, you know, about these guys that made a lot of money moving on. And I, I don't think that for anyone out there who's transitioning careers, whether you're, maybe you've been laid off, you have to find, re retool and become a new uh, worker or, maybe you've a long time account you have to now change or you're retiring there is a transition period there you know i think that's something that you know i not just for the oldest alumni but for for a lot of alumni in general that transition period can be very difficult whether you have a dollar in your bank or 10 million dollars in your bank it is because it's a different world and i think it, it resonates with anyone who's changing careers staff you've seen a lot of guys come and go over your time uh, with the Edmonton Oilers and now as a member of the managing uh, alumni relations how, how do you see that and is that something that is you know, is that a true statement, what I've said? Well, it's kind of funny. When I left the training world, I was considered a, a long-standing member, and uh, it was quite a compliment. Oh, I'm a long-standing member. When you're a hockey player at 35, you're just an old bastard. Right. You know what? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I say that sure as a are. joke, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you're, you, a lot of these guys, and, and of course, it's not about the money. I mean, hockey players make a good living, and they should. Yeah. It's a very difficult uh, uh, way to make a living. Um, and there's a lot of good things that come with that, but to your point, there, there is a transition and, and it's a, it's about purpose in your life. It's like, like, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to, how are you going to contribute? Most guys, and I'm telling you generally my experiences and I didn't know too much about the, the formal part of, of helping to lead an alumni association, but I've really learned a lot over the past uh, four or five months. And, you know, most of these people, most of these guys I know I've spent time with, uh, they're, they're all about giving back. They're all about how, how can we contribute? How can we help? And, uh, and so, yeah, it's not about, you know, back in the days when I started out in the hockey business, I mean, hockey players needed to, a job to, to make a living after they, they played five, six, seven, eight years. Today, I think the average lifespan of a hockey player is about three years. And you know what? Guys make a good living, yes. But, you know, what are you going to do at 27 years old? I mean, you have a family, you have responsibilities, and... Uh, uh, you know, some guys do need to make a living, and, and that's great. But for the guys that don't, it, it's about, uh, you know, how, how can we help? How can we give back? What, what's our purpose? Um, you know, a lot of guys want to learn about the business of restaurant. You know, say you want to go into the restaurant business. You want to learn about construction. You want to learn about uh, the radio business. Like you took the initiative study, and, uh, you know, you, you made a career out of this. So um, our members can help. Um, our members can help members that need help that are transitioning out. And, and I think they can really help some of the young guys today that, uh, you know, I'm sure in your position when you were in the dressing room and you, you saw some of these Oiler alumni, alumni guys walk by, you, you never thought about the day that you weren't playing hockey. And so, you know, uh, it's not something on your mind, but it's a bit of an education process. And, you know, it's all about relationships. I mean, we're here to help. I mean, that's what we do. Our, um, to the man, uh, whether you've been retired for 20, 30 years or just, just stepped out of it, everybody here is here to help. And you know what? Uh, we have an awful lot to offer these young guys, and I'm sure that 
you remember the first time that you were in the in your first pro team which was that uh vancouver or yeah, where'd no, you start islanders, islanders. islanders yeah. so you probably remember watching some of the veteran guys walk through the room and and you know the last thing on your mind was what am you know what am i going to do when i finish playing hockey but it's a relationship uh that you can develop and that we're planning on developing and and just as a as a as a resource um you know, it's 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 a great opportunity for us to to build those relationships and uh, you know respect the past and, and once again look to the future. I think one thing people fail to take into account too, in retiring. You mentioned if you're an accountant and you have to retool your job, the life of a professional athlete. And I've had a few friends who play in the NHL and now have also retired. Some active, some not. And you're front end loaded with excitement. Like, take the most exciting day a normal mortal like I had at 19. I went to the bar. They let me in. I found $5 on the ground. I converted that into 25-cent beers. Now, take that greatest night of my life as 19. Multiply it by 1,000, and that's your average day as an NHL player. You're on the road. You're staying at the Westin. You've got a solid gold limousine taking you to the game and from, but then you're 27 years old. And then you're released into the community. It's sort of like you've gotten out of reverse jail because this is way better than normal life. And I don't think there's enough money in the world to pave that over, right? And people sometimes think like, oh, well, he made $8 million in the NHL. He doesn't have a problem in the world. It's not true. And you've, you've lived your whole life since you were probably eight, nine years old, built around one thing, and that's being a professional athlete. And then it's over. And it doesn't matter if you were good. It doesn't matter if you were bad. It's over because of the ravages of time, right? right, right. And now what do you do? And I think that's got to be a really, really yeah. difficult thing for a lot of players in an organization such as the Alumni Association. I think you guys are doing excellent work trying to sort of transition that for guys. Yeah, you know, it's all about um, that. That transition is an important thing, and and it's about helping out and and, and uh, you know recognizing the bit. The biggest thing I think from what I found is is that these guys, all of us, all hockey players, have been on a team since they're ten years old, and they all they know is team. They understand the team. They can function on a team. They they have had teammates. They've had coaches. They've had direction. Um, and, and the team is almost their identity and it's, it's what they live and that's gone. Like no one's when, calling when, you in the morning, telling you, you where you gotta be anymore. When you're, when you're, when you're done as a hockey player, you wake up in the morning and you don't, you, you don't get up and go to practice. You don't, you don't, uh, get on the bus with, uh, 30 of your buddies. And so that's a big thing that, um, what we're really trying to do here. And I think a lot of alumni associations do is, you know, it's the camaraderie. It's the Paul Coffey said, for years and years and years, the, the thing that he misses the most about uh, retiring from hockey is the 15 minutes in the dressing room right before the guys go on the ice where it's just the team. It's just you and your buddies in the room, and uh, that's a special time for, for all of us, the coaches in the, in the room. or It's just about the guys. And, um, you know, that's the one thing that I've found that, uh, that I hear from all our membership because the, this, this organization is run – by the members and 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 we're doing what what is best for the members and and uh you know they miss the camaraderie they they love the skates we we can hardly you know we have our very first alumni skate in in the fabulous rogers place arena next week and i mean it was a sellout everybody's excited about uh, um about not so much i mean rogers place of course but just the fact that they love the boys love to get together and practice you know have a beer after have some pizza and just so that's one thing that we, we can't underestimate is the, the, the camaraderie of the group. But on the other side of it, the skills that these guys have, the skills that we have as players and people in, in, a, in, a, in a team um, environment are very transferable to any business. Um, you, know, uh, you know, most businesses try and um, emulate the team environment, the team atmosphere, you know, what does it take to be a team player? How do you teach people to be a team player? And, uh, you know, that's all our hockey players. That's all that our guys know. And so, you know, there's a lot of transferable skills there. There's, there's a commodity there. We're, we're, we're there to help. And, um, you know, it's, it, that's the exciting part, I think, um, when we can assist our, our players, our alumni players can assist companies that need help in, un, in knowing and understanding a little bit more about teams. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that's a good place to leave it right there. And, you know, there'll be lots more announcements. Uh, Mr. Barry Stafford, thanks for joining us today, buddy. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Strutty, anytime. Been a lot of fun. And uh, Wanya and Gregor, as always, a pleasure having you two gentlemen here. Of course. All right. I have to be here. I live here. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for us tonight or, or today. Uh, thanks for uh, listening. We'll tune in next week for another episode of Real Life, the podcast. See you, people. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.